the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. If you've been raised in a religious system that has tangible and visible forms, then it's very difficult to break away from that. It's very hard. And that's exactly what these Hebrew Christians in the first century were going through. Put yourself in their place. They had grown up in Judaism, but now they had come to Jesus Christ. And in Christ, the message to them from the Gospels and the message to them, especially from the book of Hebrews, is there is no high priest on earth. Your high priest is in heaven. In fact, there are no more priests, except everybody is a priest. There's no more system of priests. There's no more succession of priests. First Peter chapter 2 says we're all priests. And then you were told that there's no more temple on earth. Temple's in heaven. No more temple on earth. And then you were told that Jesus Christ, by his death once and for all for our sins, ended all the animal sacrifices. It's time again for Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, we're in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 16, as we continue with our series, Biblical Instruction for Godly Living. As we move into today's session, Pastor Steve is going to start teaching us three truths on how to live a biblically separated life. What exactly is a biblically separated life, you ask? Well, I can tell you this, it does not involve living on a high mountain somewhere and completely isolating yourself from everyone else. As for what it does mean, well, I'm going to leave that to our teacher, Steve Kreloff. If for some reason you're not able to catch this entire session today, you can sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast at versebyverseradio.org. Now, Pastor Steve is ready. Let's get started. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We're coming to the end of this book. Some exciting things, though, to see before we conclude this book. Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices... God is pleased. Every once in a while, I'm asked by someone, what religion are you? 
Have you ever been asked that? What religion are you? And then I explain to them what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ apart from any outward religious system. And they sort of look puzzled. And maybe you've wondered, why do people look puzzled? Why don't they grasp that quite easily? And I think the reason is because our society has been conditioned to associate belief in God with something that is tangible, something that is visible, some outward type of religious system worship, concrete rites, rituals, a specific place of worship, certain ceremonies. And this is certainly understandable because most of the time, even the things we've taken today in the 20th century have been adapted from the Old Testament Judaism and that system. The Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, Israel operated under a very visible and tangible religious system. They had a physical worship center, Jerusalem and its temple, They had priests with ornate attire. There were animal sacrifices. Those are very specific, very concrete, ritualistic cleansings and things like that. And even today, you think about the religious systems that are well-known, at least that come from an Old Testament background, and you have to admit that some of the modern religious systems have adapted some Old Testament Judaism's ways. For example, Catholicism has its priests, its pope, It's huge and ornate buildings and cathedrals. It's sacraments such as baptism and confession, confirmation. It's traditions and things like that. A lot of that just comes out of Old Testament Judaism. And even many Protestant churches have embraced some form of Judaism. The emphasis, for example, on church buildings as a sanctuary. Don't you hear people say we're going into the sanctuary? Or there are some churches that call themselves temples, especially Baptist churches. It's this faith Baptist temple. Well, that's all connected with the Old Testament. There are no temples today. This isn't a sanctuary. It's an auditorium. And yet we use that. How about altar calls? You ever hear that expression, altar calls? An altar was a place of sacrifice. We don't have altars today. We're not sacrificing animals. Years ago, we had a man in our church who was very concerned about altar calls. Once everyone come up and kneel here, we used to have these kneeling rails that were called altars. And as soon as I realized what was going on, and that's not really a biblical thing to even have altars, we just removed those. There are no altars, no more altar calls. You may want to come forward, but it really shouldn't be called altar calls. And then there is liturgy that Protestant churches often have, pastoral hierarchy and robes and things like that. If you've been raised in a religious system that has tangible and visible forms, then it's very difficult to break away from that. It's very hard. And that's exactly what these Hebrew Christians in the first century were going through. Put yourself in their place. They had grown up in Judaism, but now they had come to Jesus Christ. And in Christ, the message to them from the Gospels and the message to them, especially from the book of Hebrews, is there is no high priest on earth. Your high priest is in heaven. In fact, there are no more priests except everybody is a priest. There's no more system of priests. There's no more succession of priests. 1 Peter chapter 2 says we're all priests. And then you were told that there's no more temple on earth. Temple is in heaven. No more temple on earth. And then you were told that Jesus Christ, by his death once and for all for our sins, ended all the animal sacrifices. And then they were told that pastors are just laymen with a calling. That was very difficult for them to grab hold of because they still felt very secure 
in their old Judaistic system, and that's the one they were used to, and that is really the background of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 16, what we just read to you. They were struggling because they were still attracted to their old way of life. And maybe they had even been ridiculed by their Jewish brethren who would say to them something like this, why do you believe in Christianity? What an impoverished system that is. No temple, no sacrifices, no priests. What kind of a religion is that? And so it appears from what the writer is telling them that they were really struggling. And so what the writer to the Hebrews does is tell them that instead of being attracted to their old system, their old Judaistic lifestyle, they needed to break away. They needed to separate from Judaism and once and for all identify totally with Jesus Christ. In other words, this passage is a call to a biblically separated life. And it is this broad principle of separation from the world to Jesus Christ that makes it very, very applicable to each and every one of us here. Because whether you come from a Judaistic background or a religious background or a secular background or a pagan background, the Bible calls each of us to be separate from the world system, from the old way of life, and to live for Christ in a new way of life. And so what I'd like us to do this morning, if you're taking notes, the passage before us gives us three truths on how to live a biblically separated life. And these three truths are really found in three words. So we're going to look at three words that explain to us what separation is, and it's very, very important. Let me tell you why. We hear a lot about separation today from certain circles. And there are a lot of, in my estimation, a lot of extremist views concerning separation, and we need to be careful about that. On the other hand, there are some who never discuss separation. They've got one foot in the world and one foot with Christ, and they think they can do that, and so we don't hear enough about separation. And so we need to see what the scriptures actually say. We want balance, we want Bible, and we're going to look at that today. And if you are still attracted to the world system, to your old way of life, then you need to pay careful attention. All right, the first truth, and we'll just go until my voice just leaves me. The first truth on how to live a biblically separated life is found in the word separate. Separate from the old system. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Now the writer begins by saying, we have an altar. What's he talking about? What altar do we have? An altar, as I said before, is a place of sacrifice. As Christians, we don't have an altar. And yet the writer says, we have an altar. We don't sacrifice little animals, but the writer says, we have an altar. And as I said before, many churches want to call it altar rails and altar calls, but that's not biblical. That's really not. What is he talking about? This is an Old Testament concept of Judaism, and yet everything that the writer has said in this book is that Christianity is different from Judaism. Judaism may have had an altar, but we don't have an altar, and yet he says we have an altar. What does he mean? Well, he is saying we have an altar in the sense that he's not speaking so much as a Christian at this point. He's speaking as someone who's Jewish, and he's saying, in essence, to his fellow Jews, we Jews have an altar. We Hebrews, in our heritage, in our practice, have an altar. We have this altar as Jews. That's what he's saying. If you can understand he's talking about an Old Testament Judaistic practice, then you'll be able to grasp what his point is that he's about to make. And he has made in verses 10 and 11. 
under the law of Moses, and here's what he means, priests were normally entitled to eat the remains of the animals that were sacrificed. So if you were a priest, you would normally eat the remains, and that's how you were sustained by God's people. But on the Day of Atonement, it was different. On the Day of Atonement, priests were forbidden to eat the animals and the sin offerings that had been sacrificed. This is found in Leviticus 16, verse 27. And this is precisely what our writer to the Hebrews is referring to. On the Day of Atonement, one day out of the year, the high priest took the blood of a bull for himself and for his family, and then he took the blood of a goat for the nation's sins, and he brought the blood into the Holy of Holies in the temple. But the carcass, the carcass of each animal was then carried outside of the camp of the Israelites, and it was burned. It was burned. Verses 10 and 11 are simply referring to the Jewish concept of animal carcasses being taken outside of the camp. He says the priests cannot eat of them, taken outside of the camp. That's an Old Testament concept. Now, why is that important? Because sin offerings taken outside of the Jewish camp were an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ dying for us outside of Jerusalem. Let's look at verse 12. Therefore, and here he connects it, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, that is, through his death, suffered outside the gate. In the Old Testament, we have a picture of this. The carcasses were taken outside of the camp, and Jesus, when he died, was outside of the gate of Jerusalem. Now, it's not a perfect analogy. So don't try to press it. And it's not a perfect analogy because the Old Testament sacrifices were killed inside the Jewish camp. It was just their carcass was taken outside of the camp and disposed and burned. But in Christ, when Jesus died as our perfect sin offering, he was taken outside of the gate of Jerusalem, meaning outside, and here's the point, outside of the bounds of Judaism. Jerusalem refers symbolically now to the bounds of Judaism. When the Romans crucified Christ, they led him out of the city. Jesus was not crucified in the city. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, you say, but of course, he's right in the city. But Jerusalem today has expanded. Back then, it was just a little walled city. When they crucified Christ, they took him outside of the city limits. And if you're looking for a reference on that, John 19.20 says it was near the city. It was outside the city limits. Now, what's the writer's point? Why go to all this trouble to tell us that Jesus, like the Old Testament animal sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, was taken outside of the camp of the Jewish people? Why would that be important? Because here's the practical side of it. Notice verse 13. Hence, and here's his point, hence, let us go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. Just as Jesus Christ was rejected by the Jewish leaders and therefore was outside of the system of Judaism, both physically and spiritually, so the Hebrew Christians were to join him outside of the system of Judaism. In other words, what our writer is saying is you are to completely separate from Judaism. It's over. It's finished. Separate from the old system of Judaism and go outside and be totally identified with Christ. In doing so they would have to stand with a disgraced Messiah, a rejected Messiah. That's why he says bearing his reproach. What does that mean? That is to say that they would face the same rejection from their family and friends that Jesus Christ faced from the Jewish leaders and people. Now that's the meaning of these verses. Leave Judaism, identify with Christ, separate from the old system. But how does it apply to us? Most of you have no struggle in separating from Judaism. That's not an issue. 
So how does it affect our lives? To follow Jesus Christ means that you must make a clean break from your old way of living, whether it's secular or religious. God tells us to separate from the way we used to live. And that's a problem, though, for many Christians. Many Christians struggle with that because they want to hang on to the world and they want to follow Christ. And you know what? I'm here to tell you it can't be done. Why? Because Jesus Christ is outside of the world system. He's not in it anymore. And it's sinful. Its values are sinful. Its attitudes are sinful. And its behavior is sinful. You cannot have both Christ and the world because he's been rejected by the world. You cannot have that. And the world is diametrically opposed to everything associated with Jesus Christ. You cannot follow Christ and follow the world. It's mutually exclusive. It can't happen. You can't waver between two. You're either following the world system or you're following Christ. Therefore, you have to separate from the world system, and this will mean rejection for you because when you take your stand with Christ, they'll reject you because they rejected him. Let's look at John chapter 15. We've looked at this many times, but it's so pertinent here. John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, and the thought here is since the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. So the world hates Christ, and now it hates us. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. So to live like Christ and to follow him is to invite rejection and it's to invite hostility. Because it's his very issue of that he was separated from sin. He was holy. He lived a perfect life that caused them to reject him in the first place. So if you have any kind of Christian consistency living for the Lord, they're going to reject you too because they don't want to hear it. They don't want anybody who claims to follow Christ because that's a rebuke to their evil lifestyle. Now, I want us to think through a little bit about this concept of separating from the world system because we don't do it enough and we really need to. There are many Christians who would agree wholeheartedly with this passage, and they would say, yes, those Hebrew Christians needed to leave Judaism completely. What right do they have to stay in Judaism? And they would say that to someone today who came to know Christ, a Jewish person. They would say, you've got to leave Judaism. Especially back then, they would say it because Judaism had become and is today. And you need to know this. It is an obsolete religious system. God is through with Judaism. God is through with Judaism. It has become a pagan system. Once Jesus Christ died for our sins and the veil of the temple was torn in two, God was saying, there is access to me through Christ. You don't have to come through Israel. You don't have to come through an understanding of the Old Testament. Therefore, the message of the book of Hebrews is that the old covenant is over. It's over. The law has ended. With the death of Jesus Christ, Judaism is no longer God's program. Now, the Jewish people are still part of God's program, but Judaism as a religious system is finished. Now it is man's system, just as any other system is man's system. Now we can learn from Judaism. There are types and pictures, but we don't follow it. So there are Christians who would say, yes, it's obsolete. I agree with that. The Jewish people ought to leave Judaism and identify totally with Christ. Yet these same Christians who would agree with a Jew leaving Judaism often remain in Christ-dishonoring church systems. Now what I'm about to say is not intended to personally offend anyone, 
though it may, but I just want to be biblically accurate. But that's true. This may be offensive, but this is the truth. For example, there are Roman Catholics who have genuinely come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have understood that salvation is not through the church, it's not through works, it's through Jesus Christ and his shed blood alone. There are Roman Catholics who have embraced the cross of Christ and understand salvation is through Christ and him only apart from any works of our own. And yet, some of these folks still remain in the Catholic Church, which teaches that salvation is by works. They say faith, but it means faith and works. And Paul said, whenever you add works to faith, it's always works. Salvation is by baptism. Salvation is by works. And the Catholic Church has gone on record historically as rejecting the gospel of God's grace. There's no question about that. You may know exceptions to the rule, but historically, what I just said to you is absolutely accurate. And yet these folks remain in that system. And you know what? That's wrong. That's the same thing as a first century Jewish person remaining with animal sacrifices, remaining in Judaism. That's wrong. And there are others. There are genuine believers who remain in liberal and modernistic Protestant churches where they are taught error and heresy about Christ. Say, what are they taught? Well, they're taught that Jesus Christ is not God. The church denies not only his deity, but his virgin birth, his substitutionary atonement, the second coming of Christ, many of the things that are essentials to the faith. They deny the person and work of Christ, and yet these people remain in that church even though they know that Jesus Christ has died for them and they are trusting him. Now, why? Why do these people remain there? I think there are two basic reasons, and probably more, but I think there are two basic reasons. Number one, there's tradition, and along with that is the fear of their family's rejection. And their attitude is something like this. My family has gone to this church or this denomination or whatever. For years, it would cause a real problem if I left. It would cause a real split in the family, a real problem. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 13 says that you are to leave and bear the reproach of Christ. Nobody said it'd be easy. Jesus said, I came to divide families if necessary. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And there are times when your stand for Christ will cause problems in the family. And that's why Jesus said you have to love him more than father and mother. That system rejected Christ. And if you want to follow him, you must reject it too, regardless of the consequences. So forget that reasoning. And I understand that. It is difficult. But you're looking at somebody who had to go through some difficult times. I understand it, and I understand God's grace, and you do have to bear his reproach. Second reason why I think some people stay in a system like that is their attitude is this, and I've heard this from people, well, I'm the only Christian in this church. If I leave, who's going to be the light to them? Have you heard that? I've heard that from people. If I leave, then who will be a light to these folks? And you know, my response is this. It's not your job to be a light in the church. You don't pick a church, so you'll be a light there. It's not your job. Your job is to be a light outside of the church. You choose a church that can fellowship with you and can feed you and nurture you God's word. And you don't look at the church as a mission field. Church isn't a mission field. It's a place where we come to be taught the word of God. And then we scatter to evangelize. But more than just my opinion, I want you to see scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers... For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? 
Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the Corinthians were told in this passage to separate themselves from certain alliances, primarily religious And I recognize that many use this verse to say that we ought not to be married to an unbeliever and ought not to have business partnership with those who are unsaved. And I think that's right. I think that's a valid application. But primarily, he's talking about being yoked together in a religious alliance. How do we know that? Because the context, the context in the book of Corinthians is talking about false apostles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he speaks about false apostles. So what he is saying is, how can you have a partnership with the kingdom of Satan? Thank you for joining us today on our verse-by-verse series taken from Hebrews 13. Today we started to talk about three ways to live a biblically separated life, and we're going to continue with that on our next verse-by-verse. As I mentioned at the beginning of our broadcast, if you're not able to listen to the entire verse-by-verse broadcast, we invite you to sign up for our verse-by-verse podcast. Surf over to versebyverseradio.org and look for the podcast link on the right side of the screen. As you follow the link, you will be able to subscribe to the podcast and be able to listen as your schedule allows. Our time is done for today, but we will be back next time for another First by Verse program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.